You're listening to the Brick by Brick Podcast. Welcome back to the Brick by Brick Podcast. I am here, John Errico, uh, as always with Ryan Goldfarb. We are very excited. We have another episode for you guys today. This is specifically about some of our upcoming projects, um, uh, our upcoming renovation projects. And as you guys know, if you'd followed previous episodes of the podcast, Ryan and I are uh, not only investors, but we also have our own property management company and our own uh, construction company, um, which we've talked about the pros and cons in various episodes, but these takeaways do not start a construction company, but we're not going to get into that right now. Uh, we're talking about the projects that we have upcoming in Atlantic city, um, specifically the amount of construction projects that we have coming up, how we're going to manage that and our general kind of philosophy, thesis, fears, concerns about, uh, what's going on. So with that having been said, let's just dive right into it. So Ryan, do you want to kind of lay the scene and then we can, we can delve into the details? Sure. Um, so pending some offers and some potential acquisitions that we have in the pipeline, um, I think we can safely say that we have nine projects coming up that are going to be more or less gut renovations. Um, I think some might be just shy of a gut renovation, but uh, in totality, it's it's certainly in excess of two million dollars worth of construction. Um, and you know, I get a lot of questions here and there, as I assume John does too, about people who are, you know pretty worried or stressed or overwhelmed at the prospect of doing a single bathroom renovation in their house or, or something akin to that. And, you know, not to say that doing a bathroom renovation and, you know, making it exactly what you want is trivial, but certainly doing 20 bathrooms and nine kitchens and or 15 kitchens, because some of these are multifamilies, um, and just, you know, renovating probably 20 plus thousand square feet of residential space is a daunting and overwhelming endeavor to embark on. Um, but I don't think that, you know, as we've gone through this, I think John and I have like developed a fair amount of confidence in our ability to get this done. I think we, we understand that it's going to be a little bit chaotic. We understand that it's going to be stressful at times and there are going to be obstacles along the way. Um, but I, I think we have a fair amount of conviction that we can get this done, we can do a good job and we can do it within the budget that we, that we set out there. Yeah. And so let me just give a little bit of context about why we're doing these exact projects when we're doing them and kind of, you know, the, the time pressure. So these projects that Ryan just mentioned are all in Atlantic city and they're all, um, going to be ultimately short-term rentals. So things that we're going to rent on an Airbnb for, you know, between two nights and, you know, a month or something like that. So, um, the, the timing of these projects is such that the, probably something like at least 70%, something in that realm of the money that we make doing short-term rentals in this particular market is made in the summer season. So, more or less May, June, July, August. Um, that's like the, the prime period of time. And the, the shoulder months, we make a little bit. And then in the winter, it, it's relatively slow. Um, so there is a tremendous uh, urge on our behalf to get projects done before that May time period. In fact, well before the May time period so that we can market it for the summer. So missing one of those months means missing out on, you know, any of those given months could be 
like July, for example, or June, that could be 25%, you know, of what we're going to make in a given year. So not having the properties available for then is, is bad. So right now we're in the beginning of November, middle of November, my gosh. So we are really struggling to, um, we're really, really, really trying to push forward these projects to be done by next May. Yeah. So I think that that's a great way to put it. And I guess the way that I, I think about that is when you talk about construction or when we talk about construction, there are, I would say, three things that we're primarily concerned with. We're concerned with the timing, we're concerned with the cost, and we're concerned with the quality. So what you just articulated is, I would say, the the timing stress of it. Um, and one, or I guess I'll get into one way that we've attacked that um, in a moment. Um, there are plenty of obviously budgetary concerns with with construction. Obviously, if somebody is going to uh, if somebody is going to do framing for thirty thousand dollars and can start next week, um, but we have someone else who can start in three weeks who's going to do it for eight thousand um, dollars. There's a fair amount of incentive to wait the three weeks and go with the guy who's going to do it for a quarter of the price, assuming the quality is more or less in the same ballpark. Um, so these are the types of calculations that we're, we're making in our brains every time a decision like this comes up. It's we're weighing, you know, what is the, how is this going to impact timing? How is this going to impact budget? And is this going to be of the quality that we expect for, for our projects? And I also want to say too, that there is a decision that we made kind of implicit in what we're talking about, about the scope of these renovations. So, you know, all of the projects that we have in Atlantic city that we're discussing right now are existing homes. Uh, I would say of, you know, varying levels of uh, quality. Some are completely uninhabitable. Like you could walk in and you would say, no, there's no way someone could live here. We have to completely rip everything out. Some are, you know, I think you could walk in and say, people have lived here (laughs) or people were currently living, you know, when we bought it. And so you could look at it and say, well, you know, it's not completely disastrous, you know, like the roof doesn't leak, you know, the, the utilities are on, like it gets warm in the winter, gets cold in the summer sort of thing. Um, but you know, in our expertise working in Atlantic city, um, our, and what we want to do with these properties, um, our goal is essentially just to start from ground zero. We, I don't think with any of these properties, save possibly one property um, that you might have listed in that list, are we doing, are we keeping any existing anything? You know, and every other property we're ripping, we're demoing it down to the studs, sometimes even to the um, external walls alone, you know, keeping just the, uh, even replacing floor joists and the entire roof. Um, and we're building back up. And the reason that we're doing that is, is I think, twofold. Um, one is that we have been through a lot of projects where we've tried to kind of retrofit stuff into an existing home and have found that that is sometimes more expensive and always more difficult than starting from ground zero. So, you know, like matching an existing wall with plaster to a new wall with drywall or matching molding or leveling flooring or using existing tile or whatever, unless there's some really great aesthetic reason, we're not going to do that. Um, And and just to piggyback off that, um, the reason why we are generally keeping the exterior walls is primarily for zoning and land use reasons. Right. So in a place like in Atlantic city, these properties were originally built many, many years ago. Um, often they've had many iterations of construction done since they were initially built. And some of those characteristics that we inherit by keeping the existing building 
afford us maybe more square footage or they allow us to not have parking on site or, um, you know, we don't need a certain setback require to meet a certain setback requirement. So um, there is value in that. And, you know, I think in a lot of respects, building entirely new would make our jobs a lot easier, but it would come with the trade-off of, of losing some of those grandfa- grandfathered right. characteristics. That's a great point. Yeah. And, and the biggest issue, I think, to, to that point is our ability to have single-family homes because right. we can't build ground-up single-family homes at this point in the tourism district in Atlantic City, yet many of our projects are going to be single-family homes. Um, there's also, yeah. And then there's also the, the flood proofing, flood proofing, um, yeah. requirements. So, oh, um, yeah, the whole episode on that. Right. I, and then the second reason, just, just to complete, you know, that premise the second reason why we want to do complete guts as opposed to retrofitting is because our goal with these properties increasingly so has been to create kind of marquee, um, high end properties. So we want to create things that people walk into and say, you know, wow, this is really a great place to stay. Like, this is really awesome. And we found that by retrofitting existing properties, it's very, very hard to kind of get to that point because you're constrained just by the fact that you can't put in, say, central air conditioning. Um, and if you do, you might as well rip everything out anyways because you have to put in new ducts or whatever it is. Right. So um, for me, those are the two pillars. You know, that's why that's why we're the scope of the projects that we are doing are very big because we want to, with cheaper and faster to do everything, new to begin with and we want them to be really high quality when we're done right and and to expand on that a little bit i would say there are both aesthetic and functional reasons to do that um obviously as you alluded to before it can be very challenging to match existing drywall or existing sheetrock sorry existing plaster to new sheetrock and existing sheetrock right sure yeah right or you know to 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 nail the transition between flooring in different rooms or even to match the heights of different floorings in different rooms. Um, so we definitely have an advantage by just doing everything new in that respect. But secondly, on the, uh, in a, in a functional sense, because we're doing short-term rentals at these properties, oftentimes one of the main drivers of value is how many people, a, how many guests, a house can comfortably sleep. Um, and I would say there's added value to having people sleeping in their own distinct bedrooms. So with existing buildings, if we were just kind of furnishing what was there based on the existing floor plans, we might have two or three bedrooms in a house that we could otherwise fit five or six. Mm-hmm. And I think that that has been the case in a number of instances where we've we've been able to do that by splitting up some bedrooms or, or even even commonly just reconfiguring what was there um, and maybe cap, uh, maybe cannibalizing some closet space. I think that that's been like a, like for someone who's there for two or three days, having a massive walk-in closet is not of much use. Yeah. But if that is your home and that's where you're living and storing all your clothes, having a walk-in closet is more justified. Totally. Yeah. It's a great point. I mean, we're, we're really kind of uh, on the spectrum, we're much more towards purpose-built short-term rentals than we are towards a comfortable single-family home. I'm just thinking of one project that we had recently. I was looking at some pictures of where um, I think the upstairs had two bedrooms, 
uh, this is on Beach Avenue, had two bedrooms and then a bathroom that was like, <laughs> like you know, the size of like three bathrooms. It had this like jacuzzi hot the tub and like all this stuff. So we ultimately made a third bedroom up there by just making the bathroom about a third of the size of right. what it was. Right. Um, so and, there was, and I think we also captured a, a another walk-in closet, like an extraneous exactly. walk-in yeah, closet. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So like some of the design decisions made in these old homes, it's like, I, I don't... And, and when you're getting to the point where you're saying like, I'm going to make a bathroom smaller and create a new bedroom, it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, you could do that without necessarily ripping out all the other walls in the house and redoing all the electric. But it's like, at that point, I mean, come on, like, right. you know, you're, you're doing such a big, you're moving all the plumbing, you're moving all the electric, electric stuff, you have new fixtures, this and that. It's like, come on, just, just do the whole house because right. it's, it's going to be the, 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 the marginal cost for renovating the entire house is going to be relatively low given what you're already going to pay regardless. So, and the benefits are going to be humongous. So, right. um, in fact, I was thinking, uh, just, we were talking to one of our HVAC contractors about, um, one of the houses that, uh, maybe the only house that we might not do this entirely with. And the more that I think about it, the more I'm sort of like, well, it might be, <laughs> we're going to do a bigger, a bigger scope than we think, but a topic for another discussion. So I, I think one, one way to approach it is to talk about kind of our, uh, our limitations in doing this. I think we talked about time and cost. Um, but I think, you know, we talked about that we have to do things quickly. I think that let's just give a, maybe Ryan, you can discuss this, like kind of what, what our operations are currently, unless you want to. Yeah. The, the one thing I wanted to just, uh, highlight for a second on the timeline front. So I, I think one strategic decision we made, and I think this is like something that we talked about and came to the conclusion on fairly recently was that in the interest of trying to get things live for next summer, we're better off focusing on going full steam ahead with sort of like this first tier of projects that stand the best chance of being totally done by Memorial Day or July 4th weekend, um, going all in on those to make sure that that they are 100% done by the time the you know that that peak season comes around versus spreading our resources across all nine of these projects mm-hmm. and having nine projects that are 50% done by July 4th or Memorial day. Very so true. I, I think that that's like, uh, there, there's definitely a financial driver to that. Um, I think it's also from a planning standpoint, it's probably a li- little easier to parse out work in that manner. Um, there are all sorts of operational, logi- uh, operational and logistical concerns, um, with, you know, managing personnel that I'm sure we'll dive into either in this podcast or later on. But I just wanted to highlight that because I think that that, that will hopefully make something quite daunting seem a little bit more manageable because, you know, obviously we've done three projects at a time many times in the past. Very true. Um, Yeah. Of the, did you say nine? I I think it's nine. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's nine and then it's nine. (laughs) And then there are like a number of like single apartments that we will be renovating or like places that we're buying that we're going to be furnishing. Sure. Nine, (laughs) nine of the big ones, nine big ones Uh, of those nine. I think realistically we're thinking two will be done. Um, I think we'd like for a third to be done. Yeah. I think the third one maybe will be like late summer again, even late summer for one of these places, like just having August live might be 30 grand. Right. But the other six were kind of like, there's no way, like there's no way it's not even worth trying because I mean, it's not that we're not going to start the projects whenever it makes sense to start them, but we're not going to say to ourselves yeah, we're going to be done by, you know, June. And I, I think to people that are not familiar with 
with renovations um, to the extent that we are familiar might say, well, you're in November, you're talking about next summer. It, the, you know, the fall has just come, you know, last month was the beginning of fall or whatever. I mean, you're talking about a long time. And I think to them, I would say, it's not, you know, it's, it's a, it's a rush, you know, like every day right now we're stressing out about it. Like it, the, the, the summer was our busy time for property management stuff. And now it's turned into the fall of acquisitions and, uh, renovations. Very, very busy with renovations. Right. And, and I think one of the, one of the big limitations or one of the big obstacles we face when it comes to managing the timeline, it, it's not necessarily the work itself. It's managing all of the things that are outside of our control. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we did a podcast recently um, about how disconnected electrical service cost us $30,000 or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, that's just one example of many things that can have the same impact. Right. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's utilities, which is not just electrical, but it's gas service, water and sewer. Um, it's inspections and, you know, it's rough inspections, it's final inspections, even before that it's plan review and the issuance of permits, it's zoning and land use stuff. It's, um, you know, all these things kind of like feed into each other. So if you have even something like a delay from a, a significant delay from your framer or from your HVAC contractor, we could be stuck in phase one or phase two until that one thing is done, even if the other 10 things that are prerequisite yeah. for that have been completed. Yeah. And, and I would say every single project that we've ever done has had one of those stick up, one of those holdups where it's been one thing we didn't really think about beforehand that has ended up costing us a lot. Oftentimes it doesn't cost us three months, but sometimes it does. Yeah. So um, I, I think to, to delve you know, peel the onion back a little bit more here about how we're going to approach this. We should explain our current operations uh, because I think when we say that we have a construction company, that means a lot of different things to people. And people often think, oh, a construction company means you have like a crew of guys that are working full time on your stuff. So just to be clear, you know, we own a general contracting company and we have in that contracting company, we have essentially one more or less full time person who works for us. Um, uh, and, uh, he is sort of a, a jack of m- most trades, I would say an expert of no trade. Um, and that's not, I don't mean that in a, in a derogatory means, uh, but he can do a lot of different things, but we wouldn't necessarily trust him to do any one thing, um, if we had another alternative. So he's kind of the guy that we use and it, it's he's great. Like a, he's to like have. a backstop. He's a backstop. That's a great way to say it. Yeah. He's kind of like, um, you know, we will sup him in. He's a great type of guy to have for a business like what we run because it's kind of like, you know, if we need something done, he's always there and we always have work for him to do because there's always that need. And we've had him do things ranging from, you know, minor work up until, you know, he really spearheaded the renovation of, and this is not one of our gut renovations, but the renovation of one of our single family homes that I think turned out really nice. Um, so that's like kind of our guy. Um, beyond that, we essentially sub out everything else. On the management side, we also have um, a guy that works for us full time on the management component and sometimes can switch over to doing some construction stuff. Similarly um, to our construction guys, kind of like uh, a jack of a lot of trades, but not particularly great at any one given trade, except the fact that he has a lot of different skills. Um, But everything else that we do, we will sub out. So um, framing, drywall, flooring, plumbing, electric, roofing, HVAC, um, 
anything, cabinets, countertops, um, tile, um, name any, you know, trade or subset of a trade, we will almost always sub that out to someone. It might be the same person that can do multiple things, but our operations in Atlantic City right now are that we have kind of uh, a sub who has his own crew of people. We've primarily been using them for demolition, um, but occasionally we've used them for things like painting, which I think they're pretty good at. Uh, we use them for drywall, um, which they are pretty good at. Um, we've used them with regret for things like tile, which they're not very good at. Um, molding, which in certain contexts they're okay at. Um, in other contexts, they're very bad at. Um, flooring, again, like uh, in certain contexts, they're okay at. In other contexts, they're not very good at. So that's one of our main subs down there for, because demolition is the beginning of a lot of our projects. So he's he and his crew are kind of one of our main subs. We have a plumber um, that we have used on, I think, all of our projects. We, have, we actually have two plumbers, but the plumber that we use for kind of uh, uh, new construction stuff, uh, we've used on all of our projects. The same with the electrician and the same with the HVAC guy. Um, we've used a rotating cast of people for um, for framing. So we initially used that demolition guy for framing. We've used our internal guy for framing. We now have a framer that we've been using in one existing project that we're maybe half the way through and we're kind of evaluating how he's doing, but looks looks like a promising person. We've used different people for siding. We've used different people for roofing. Uh, we've used different people for... Um, you know, flooring, depending on the type of flooring that we're, you know, we're refinishing, installing new hardwood, laminate, um, whatever. Um, we haven't really found a good tile person. So that's kind of a big need that's going to be coming up for us. But, you know, our operation is very dependent on, on these subs. So the, the, when I say we have a construction company, that means we have a license. We're able to pull our own permits as a construction company, but it doesn't mean that we have a bunch of crews of guys, you know, moving around all the time. So our constraint is, in that respect, just raw manpower. Right. right. But I, I, I will highlight that, you know, I, I think people might assume that an operation like ours to do that many projects means that we have to hire more guys, but it's actually a lot more scalable to rely on subcontractors because the decision to bring someone on, on payroll on a full-time basis where you're paying for them, regardless of how much you're using them is a very hard decision to make. And, not only is it a hard decision to make, but it's it's hard to find people like that. Um, and once you do, the switching costs, you know, to get rid of them or to not use them for certain projects are are very high. So when you employ this strategy, you know, this is actually like something I've I've really been trying to improve upon in earnest is really building out this rolodex of subcontractors mm -hmm. because as we scale, as we have more projects, there are going to be so many needs for. Um, even a, a second person for a given trade that we already have, let alone a first person for certain trades like tile work that we don't already have. Yeah. And I think what we, I think is a great point. And, and the, the, the burden of that operational challenge is on the subcontractor. And if we say to the subcontractor, hey, you know, we really need to get this project done. We need it done in three weeks. You know, that's our timetable. And if they they're unable to deliver on that maybe because they have other projects that they're doing or they have other projects they're doing for us, you know, our optionality is just to say, okay, we're not going to work with you anymore. And for, you know, and, and versus for them, their optionality is to say, oh, I have to hire another person. I have to move around these other people. I have to prioritize this. You know, I don't like, we don't have to get involved in that level of operation and nor should we, because we're not plumbers. You know, we don't know how to necessarily evaluate what, who's a good plumbing technician. You know, I don't care necessarily to learn about that. I'd rather someone else take care of that. 
One, one, one thing we've done successfully, or I think one reason why this model has worked for us in the past, this like subcontractor model is that we've had enough scale that, um, I think we've engendered some goodwill with these subcontractors because we've not only, we've not just used them for like a single one-off project, but we've used them for many projects over mm. and over and over. So not to say that these guys are perfect, but I think all else equal when, uh, when something goes wrong or we want to change something or they made a mistake, they're less inclined to come after us to clean up the mess than if they were just doing this as a one-off project because they want to get that repeat business. They want to work with us again. And I think we're generally pretty easy to work with in the sense that we generally pay on time. We communicate, we try to communicate fairly well. Um, we try to accommodate the specific needs of that contractor as best we can. I think one example of that is a lot of the contractors who we use may communicate better in Spanish than they do in English. And we've been brushing up on our Spanish and trying to communicate with them in that way um, as best as we can. And then, you know, even, even relying on like translation apps to make that as mm -hmm. seamless as possible. And I think that those types of things engender some goodwill that, that ultimately has some long-term value, especially at scale. Yeah. And I, I think it, it brings up a thought. <clears throat> we were talking about this in a, in, a, in a, we were talking about this in a different context, but I think it's a particular type of subcontractor that, that we're able to use and works well for us at this stage of where we're at, which is a subcontractor that is autonomous enough to figure out solutions to problems um, without our input or without us being there. A lot of work sites, you know, bigger projects work where there's a general contractor and the general contractor or, you know, someone who works for general contractor is there pretty much all the time, kind of, um, you know, cracking the whip, not literally, but, you know, there to kind of move things along. And I still think that would be a, a big benefit to us. However, you know, subcontractors that work in that context often look to that general contractor to sort of say like, what do I do next? How do I solve this problem? Can you pick this up for me? You know, can we double check this or whatever else? And just the nature of our operations that, you know, we're not there all the time. Um, uh, I think is maybe obvious. I live in Northern New Jersey. Ryan lives in New York city. So we're, you know, at closest to our trip away. We only go down there. We might say only, you know, we go down there once a week, more or less. Um, so we're not there to answer. I mean, we can pick up the phone and, you know, we do a lot of FaceTime and videos and that sort of stuff, but we're not there constantly. So we need subcontractors that are intelligent enough to kind of figure it out more or less on their own and that we trust enough where their conclusions are going to be um, okay. You know, I'm thinking specifically of our electrician who certainly has, has made some, you know, errors, I would say, and that was the, the subject of the, the last uh, podcast episode. Um, but uh, he, uh, one thing we like about him is that he is kind of intelligent enough to figure out what we, we what we might like without specifically asking us, you know, and we, in, in a lot of our projects, we have recessed lights. Um, and, you know, sometimes we go back and forth about is it worth it or not? You know, what's the cost, whatever else. But, you know, he oftentimes will make a decision that we ultimately agree with. Like, yeah, it's good. It's a good idea. We did recess lights here. It's a good idea. We put the switch here. It's a good idea. We, you know, did whatever else that we did. Yeah, so, like in, the, in the living room, it's a good idea that we put a quad outlet where the TV exactly, is obviously going to go. Exactly. Great point. Yeah. So that, that's kind of like the, the sort of subs that we rely on. Um, but to, to get a, a little bit, you know, to how we're just handling having these nine projects, what we have relied on at this point has been, and, and Ryan and I had a probably two hour conversation about this just a few days ago, is sequencing these projects in some way. So we, you know, we, 
whether it's intentionally or just so happened this way, you know, we, we didn't, we didn't buy all of the houses that were working at the same time. And the result of that means that not all these houses are ready to go at the same time, are ready to begin renovations at the same time. The, the biggest barriers to starting renovations are, um, time-wise are getting plans, um, working, I should say, getting drawings of the existing structure with which we can, you know, use to, um, to figure out what we want to do, figuring out what we want to do, getting those kind of drawn out in plans and in plan form, and then doing all of the kind of approvals and whatever else we need from the municipality to be able to actually start construction. So like from day zero, day one of buying a property to getting to the point where we have approved permits could be, um, several months. I mean, even going at breakneck speed, you know, you're talking about three months, two, three months, just to, just to kind of get to that point. Um, and then, you know, even when you start construction, you have to do demolition, you have to move stuff out that itself could take two, three weeks. So, you know, some of these projects, um, that we're starting construction on now, um, we've owned for some time because it just took us a while to get all of our ducks in a row and to kind of get everything ready to go. Maybe you can do demolition kind of during, you know, during your plan review type thing, maybe not where you're supposed to get a demolition permit, you know, whatever else, but like, we're, we're kind of in a situation where we have one project right now that's like we're going we started we're doing framing we have everything kind of lined up as best as we can we have another project that we're maybe a few weeks out because we need to get um approvals from the city the third project we are like just about to kind of submit approvals to the city and we don't know how long that'll take but probably you know three four weeks and then kind of every other project is at another, a different layer of kind of that, you know, that step. Some projects we have existing drawings for, and we're working on final plans. Some projects we just got the existing drawings. Some projects we haven't even gotten the existing drawings yet. Um, the way it's been working for us has been, you know, we have these framers and you know, kind of in our minds, we have them scheduled out for the next two, three months. Cause it's like, you know, you're done with this project, move right onto this project. You know, that one, move right on the next one. And then the plumber, the electrician all kind of follows suit. And, um, it would be great if we could do these projects simultaneously, but so far that hasn't been how it's sh- it's sh- it shaked out. Yeah, a few things I wanted to point out from what you just said. So, one thing that I, I think is a, a constant challenge is the plans change as we go along. So, I think even even as recently as like an hour ago, we were just talking through something that the framer showed us that wasn't evident when the plans were initially drawn up and when the architect originally saw the house because it wasn't fully demoed at that point. And it was only until um, everything was demoed and being reframed that it was obvious that what the architect had specced for a specific area of the house was not feasible because it wasn't obvious to the architect when he did the drawings that this specific wall actually used to be an exterior wall of the house and was at some point enclosed into, I think, a bathroom or a pantry or a closet or something like that. So those types of things constantly come up. And and to John's point before, it's great when we have subcontractors who are competent and autonomous enough to say, hmm, okay, this is a problem. I can either call them or I can figure out a solution before I call them uh, and sort of like propose... um, kind of like propose a path path forward. And that's something that we really appreciate because the amount of back and forth and the amount of bandwidth of hours that it takes up to try to troubleshoot some of these issues from afar is not really sustainable across this number of projects. So I think that that's something that we've been increasingly placing priority on um, as we've progressed. It's, it's finding the types of 
the types of subcontractors who are who are able to bring that to the table. And oftentimes, that is the justification for paying someone twelve thousand dollars for a project when someone else might have quoted eight. Right. Um, second thing I was going to highlight was just the number of like steps that make up any one step in the construction process. Um, I'm thinking just even from a framing standpoint, um, the amount of back and forth just to get materials on site. Yeah. Um, I mean, we were probably on our, I think our second or third delivery from the lumber supplier. This um, morning was our third. Yeah. yeah. So we're on our third delivery from the lumber supplier. Um, and beyond just that, because of the the nature of the site and because of the layout of the house, it would have been extremely onerous to be doing construction in the house while all of these materials were on site. And we don't have a driveway, we don't have a garage, we don't have a shed. So what we had to do was leverage the fact that directly across the street from this property, we actually own a series of lots that we hope to build on in the future. But for the time being, they're just vacant lots. So we had ordered a storage pod to be placed on the lot across the street from this house. And that storage pod is now the repository for all of the uh, materials that come in or that, that arrive on site for the house across the street. So, um, yeah, and even even the logistics of that were pretty burdensome because in order to, it's not just a call to the company to order the storage pod, but on the day of arrival, one of our guys had to go there and make sure that no cars were blocking the, the lot. He had to like kind of uh, put caution tape or cones there to ensure that no cars parked there for the, you know, four hour window or so before this was delivered. Um, and I think the same thing holds true for things like dumpsters during, during demo or for um, taking delivery of appliances or cabinets or countertops. So, yeah. And I think what Ryan is saying is that we are still ourselves in the weeds with a lot of these things. And that that's something that we're trying to, we really need to get away from to be able to scale more. But at this point in our you know careers and what we're doing in our investment, we are still intimately involved in these decisions. You know, I remember um, going into one of our projects uh, that we're just about to start demo with, and you know, I think that um, you and I were there both, and and I forgot it was you or me said a comment being like, you know, the next step is demo, and my immediate thought was wow, the complexities involved with that are so high. Right. Because to exactly to your point uh, with the dumpster, right? Like, where are we going to put the dumpster? We, we, don't, we can't put the dumpster in front of the house because there's no parking there. We can't put it across the street because there's no parking there. We have a driveway in the back, but the street leading to the driveway is extremely small. So we can't, you know, we, we looked and see, could we get a dumpster angled back in that street? Probably not. Should we get a smaller dumpster? Should we put a dumpster across a different street? Should we get a dump truck? If so, who's going to provide the dump truck? Um, you know, if we have to put a dumpster kind of somewhere else, how do we ferry the trash there? You know, who's going to be the person driving because some of our guys can't, you know, don't have a car, can't drive. I mean, it's just like the complexity involved in that. And that's not even getting to the complexity of like actual demolition, right? We have someone still living in part of the house. So we can't like completely destroy all the electrical system, all the plumbing, because we have to keep that on for one of the tenants. And, you know, we're not quite at that level of granularity. We're not like there worrying about like, should I, you know, hammer away this joist or not? But that could be a question that somebody asks us is like, is it okay to cut this wire or not? And, you know, that that's the level of granularity in some of these projects that we're still at. But I will, I will say to our credit, we've certainly come a long way from from where we started. I think one, one example, um, which sort of dovetails with 
the point we were talking about before with like having more autonomous subs is having the right vendors. So I, I think there was a point in time where we were ordering a lot of materials for delivery to job sites from Home, Home Depot. And I would say there were two reasons for that. One was we had a commercial account set up with them um, and it was easy to do it online. And the second reason was because oftentimes it was less expensive. But I think we made that mistake probably two or three times and finally said never again because the amount of... Yeah, don't order delivery from the Home amount, Depot. Yeah, you, just, <laughs> you, you can't rely on them for delivery. You can't rely on them for timing. You can't rely on the fact that they're going to deliver everything that they say they're going to deliver. And you can't rely on the fact that what they deliver is going to be of a certain quality um, to where it's accept- acceptable to use on the job site. So I think like just s- from a logistics standpoint, I think we've probably shaved off several steps by using the right vendors, whether that's a lumber supply company, a cabinet supplier, a countertop supplier, um, an appliance supplier, whatever it may be, that I think has gone a long way towards improving this problem that you know we, we are still working on to this day. But um, I think it's worth noting that we, we've certainly come a long way in that respect. I think Im- implicit in what you're saying is that we're still very involved in that certainly. process. Right. So, you know, it, it, we're still there making an order for two by fours or, you know, getting all the sheetrock or whatever. And, you know, to one extent you could say, yeah, that's great because, uh, you know, you can control that, right? right? You know, one of the biggest issues that we had, I was just talking to to someone yesterday about this, um, was, uh, who listened to our actually our last podcast about, um, the, uh, the siding stuff is, you know, his point was, well, if you're relying on the contractor to provide the siding, then that's a big problem because you have no control over when he orders the siding, you know, and if you ordered the siding yourself, then you could say, well, the siding's here. So whether or not you do it or somebody else does it, it's here, you know, and, and we were kind of beholden to this particular subcontractor to, to work on his schedule, but when he ordered it, because I think a big delay was that he didn't order the siding until whatever, you know, four months after we told him to. But notwithstanding that, you know, we're, we're still in the weeds of, about that actual process. And that's a huge amount of time. I mean, it's not a huge amount of time to say, like, I need to find two by fours. It's definitely some time. But as the project goes on in complexity, it's more and more time because more and more of those finishes become more and more particular, you know, it's, it's two by four, a two by four is a two by four. I mean, maybe there's different manufacturers of two by fours, I I'm sure, but you know, it's just a piece of wood. That's, uh, that dimension, but you know, tile that you're using for finish work, uh, in a bathroom, you want to have a certain look and that takes a lot of effort to find a, a tile that meets these particular colors or that's in stock, or that has the quantity that we want or at the price that we want, or that we can get access to fast enough or whatever else. So we're very much in that, in that process too. Um, so, you know, for, for us, I think thinking about scaling and I'm about to have a heart attack, just, you know, as we talk about this more, but you know, no, realistically, you know, thinking about scaling, I think for us, it's, it's, um, trying to leverage our existing resources and then thinking about how we could use new resources. So I think bringing on this framer, uh, this subcontractor for framing, I hope is going to be great, but if he doesn't work out, you know, we have a few more kind of lined up that, uh, Ryan, I think you've been talking to recently, um, which is great. Um, we have other electricians kind of in our Rolodex, although none that we've ever really used the same with plumbers. Um, and you know, really for us, I think we're, we're in the process where we think we're at a stage where we need to hire some type of construction manager, whether that's someone with a lot of experience in the management field 
whether it's someone that we can kind of plug into our existing systems. I mean, this is a debate that we've had recently about, is it better to hire a construction manager who has a wealth of experience in the construction management field and therefore we're going to pay a premium? Or is it more fair to hire somebody who has some experience in the field, but we can kind of plug into a process that we haven't yet created about how they can manage our projects? Um, but I think that that's like, those are our discussions assuming that we're still going to get somebody and i think we're at the point where we're like yeah we need someone to kind of be there to guide the process to take deliveries to order the wood to make sure the subs are there to answer the questions that we can't answer from afar like that's i think one of our goals to get to to be able to scale uh, more quickly and then really not too far down the horizon for us is new construction you know these nine projects that Ryan mentioned don't include what might be our biggest project ever, uh, which we're going to have a meeting about uh, on Monday. And if that meeting goes well, we're going to go all speed, you know, kind of full speed ahead for this ground up construction project. And that's going to be something that we've never tackled. It's going to be, not only will it be, you know, uh, foundation work and kind of like, you know, the structure of a building, but it's also going to be, um, you know, renovating or whatever you want to call it, you know, gut doing, um, a dozen apartments. Right. Right. Um, yeah, it sort of like speaks to how entrenched we've been in this process that, I like when we talk about the concept of hiring a construction manager, I almost can't even envision what it would be like at this point to completely extricate ourselves from the construction process. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you know, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a full extraction from every aspect of the process. But I, I think the goal would be to be able to look at things from a 30,000 foot view and to not be bothered with the minutia of ordering materials and coordinating the logistics that we do on a daily basis. Yes, I see your entire body just like <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm instantly reaching zen. nirvana. No, I think you know, and it, my hair is growing back. The, yeah, my my hair is getting less gray. I don't know how, but I I think you know the fact that we're even having this discussion, I think, just points to kind of the way that we've been operating because I think we could have just hold, had this whole episode and uh, hyped it up and being like, how are we going to handle nine different projects? Like, well, we just hired a general contractor right. and he took <laughs> care of it, you know? And that's that's not the answer that we've reached. I think, you know, I think we've gone back and forth, uh, frankly, in saying like, maybe we should have done that. But, you know, for us, I think, I think having, having control over the process and also building our own expertise is not only an investment in the project, but also to an extent investment in our own business. You know, I think that we, our goal from the outset has been, we want to do a lot of these projects. I actually think we're, we're probably nearing the end of our, uh, our career as renovators. I hope, I think we're going to be doing more ground up construction projects that we haven't done one to begin with. So who knows? But, you know, I think once we get into that field, we're going to like that. But, you know, most people that consider themselves to be real estate developers are not completely ignorant about the process of, how real estate development happens. And so we're learning and gaining that expertise. Whether or not we use a general contract in the future for those projects or not, I think it's a valuable uh, you know, investment for us to gain that level of confidence and knowledge and trust. And I think I think now we've gained it, but you know, I'm glad that we've <laughs> glad that we've kind of been in that process. And I, I would love to, along with that, you know, this is a concept that Ryan and I were just talking about, kind of like build the machine that built the machine, right? So we want to build processes in our company that can allow us to scale further. And one of those processes that we're not so interested in is just saying like, well, the process is we hire a general contractor and they have their own process, right? We want to build a process where we're able to scale um, as a company. And, you know, however that looks is however it looks. But 
you know, I, I think that that's why my position for this construction manager is less so let's hire some guy with a bunch of expertise and more so let's hire somebody that might have a little bit less expertise, but that we can create a process around, build around, and then that person individually becomes a little bit more, you know, one person in a bigger machine that we can kind of, you know, plug and play. But it's a discussion, right? Yeah, there, there's also a related aspect of this conversation that I, I've been kind of obsessed with, which is the the kind of like planning and design process that mm-hmm. that underpins a lot of this. And you enjoy that, I think. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So I, I mean, I think one of the, probably the single thing that I appreciate most about, about construction and renovations is the idea of this like before and after, like especially with the types of projects we do where we're often buying houses that like some people would literally be afraid to step foot inside and then when the project is is done it's you know a, a highly it's like a not just not just new and clean but it's it's nice it's like uh, thoughtfully designed yeah. higher end details things like that and that's really something that we want to dive into and that uh, i guess that's like an aspect of the project that i've been or uh, an aspect of the projects that i've been pretty intimately involved with so we have we have essentially an in-house designer at this point um, and I've been working with him in tandem uh, to kind of come up with the concepts and come up with the layouts and come up with certain design details and kind of like determine the aesthetic for each project. And just from a creative standpoint, that's something that I've really appreciated. But I think that there are so many ripple effects to having that level of, of planning go into each detail of every project. Um, and I think that to circle back to some of the points that we were talking about earlier in terms of like making our subs more autonomous. I think it's a lot easier to do that when you provide them some of the tools that we haven't necessarily done in the past. Mm -hmm. So like in the past when we've hired someone to do something as, as trivial as painting, the level of instruction might just be walls this color trim this color ceiling this color and or generally oftentimes and even that it's right. like oh the uh the color like, right, you know <laughs> right. and it, it's very spur of the moment it's not it's not as intentional um and you know it, it's it's fine it's you know kind of like fresh and clean and whatever um and we i think try to elevate the design in other ways but more recently with with our in-house designer we came up with a a more colorful design scheme for one of our projects and he created a 3d rendering of each room and in that 3d rendering he said you know like this wall and this like two foot section of the ceiling and this like two foot border on the adjacent walls are going to be the they're going to form the accent wall those are going to be painted in this color and then the rest of the walls are going to be in this color um the trim is going to be this color and the ceilings are going to be that color and we were able to hand those that detail and that visual rendering to our painter and you know one thing that's nice is that visuals cross you know they cross language barriers like a picture looks the same regardless of whether you speak english or spanish mm-hmm. so being able to show that you know in in color to be able to show that like this wall is going to be painted a different color and this is how it's going to all come together and these kinds of details should be executed in this manner they enhance the quality, they enhance the design, and frankly, they make the logistics easier because there's a lot less there's a lot less up for interpretation. So hopefully over time, that level of planning will eliminate some of those phone calls that we get when someone's on site and they want to know, 
you know, is this is this going to be built out or is this meant to be flush or is this wall going to be the same as that that wall? Is there going to be uh, like what's the transition going to look like here? Um, yeah, and, and even beyond that, there are also there are also implications for how we end up furnishing the space mm-hmm. and how all of that design gets tied together. So I think one, like one thing that we've probably overlooked in the past is like locations of things like windows and like how that's going to affect um, furniture or like locations of a column that's in the middle of a room supporting a beam and how that's going to affect the layout of the furniture. Yeah. Um, so I think, I, I think this is like a classic example of the sum being greater than, sorry, the whole being greater than the sum of its parts when it comes to um, kind of marrying all of the, all of the intricacies of construction and design. Well, I think that's an important, I don't want to gloss over your, your point there, which is, I think that, you know, design is something that you, um, feel very passionate about and, and enjoy it. And I think, you know, for, for what we do, there are a lot of things that we do that I would say we don't really enjoy doing. There are things that we do that we kind of like tolerate doing we have to do, but you know, it, it like for, for our process, you know, Ryan really enjoys the design. Pro- I enjoy it too, but you know, I, I think Ryan is very passionate about it and, and, ha- and can add a lot of value in that, that space. And, you know, for me, I'm very passionate and can add value in installing drywall, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is not true as a joke. Um, but you know, I think if, if, um, I hate installing drywall. Um, if you, uh, but you know, like to, to someone else listening out there, you know, it's not like, just because you want to scale and do things bigger and better and faster that you have to extricate yourself from every part of the process. You know, I think even if we got very, very big, I think Ryan would still want to be involved in, um, the design process, you know, for, for our projects or at least to oversee it in some capacity. Yeah. And sort of paradoxically, as we've kind of built this process around design and as, as we brought on someone to help us with that, I've actually found that I enjoy it more because there is a process and it's, it's less stressful. It's more organized. Um, and Tatus, who's our, who is our in-house designer, he, he's like a sounding board for me to throw it, to bounce ideas off of. And likewise, we can sort of like jointly tackle certain ideas, uh, and certain problems and think more creatively. And, um, I think ultimately arrive at a better solution. Um, but it's also forced me to bring some, or to bring a little bit more discipline to that process. Mm -hmm. So I I think in the past, one of the things that we struggled with is the sort of lead time for a lot of these decisions was not what it should have been. Whereas now we are planning some of these things like months in advance. So we're, we're better able to think about all of the different factors that go into making a decision. We're better able to iron out all of the details that, that make up that decision. Um, and we're, we're better able to relay those plans to the related parties, whether that's the, the painter or the flooring guy or the plumber. Um, and I think that just makes everyone's life easier and it's, it's less stressful to me because I'm not, I don't feel like I'm being forced to make these decisions spur of the moment. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, you know, I, I think in, in a way to summarize kind of the problem of how are we going to renovate these nine projects plus, um, you know, going forward, um, it's, it's multifaceted. I think, you know, one, one way that we're doing that is by relying more on our, on our subs, um, to be autonomous and to help us out. Another way we're doing that is trying to sequence the projects. We're trying to uh, make it so that we don't have the exact same stage of construction happening simultaneously. Uh, another way we're trying to do that is, um, by uh, hopefully hiring someone to help us in some capacity, construction manager type. We haven't done that yet, but that's kind of on the docket. Um, and you know, the, the fourth way I think is the final way is 
trying to leverage our strengths and what we find that we're good at and, and interested in like passionate about doing and um, the stuff that we're less good at and less passionate about doing, seeing if there's a way that we can automate it away or get someone else to help us do that. But it, it's it's a very daunting challenge. I mean, I think it's it's unlike any challenge that we've had before. We have had three projects happening simultaneously for a brief you know brief periods of time or, or maybe even slightly more, but they've all been kind of in very different stages of construction. I think it's been very rare we've had three projects and let alone nine projects that are all at the beginning phases that we all want to gut renovate and then like kind of finish in the same, you know, in some type of um, speed. And we haven't been good at doing projects quickly. Um, we've had we've had some some successes, I would say, and, and many more not successes, <laughs> speed-wise. I- yeah. I, another thing that I think is is relevant to this conversation is to say that this this topic is is personal to us. This is this is the construction process as we see it, and insofar as it applies to our business. Um, so, like for example, we, as John alluded to earlier, we're renovating these things to be essentially purpose built short term rentals. That means that we're not selling them immediately. Um, it means that we're holding them for a longer period of time. It means that we are not living there ourselves. We are renting it to other people who are generally going to be there for three days at a time instead of a year. Um, and it also means that we, I think place sort of a high, high priority on like the marketability of the final project. Mm -hmm. So for us, that design concept or that design um, aspect of the project, I think has heightened value because good design translates directly into good pictures. Good pictures translates directly into more bookings and, you know, higher, higher rates, higher occupancy. Happier. Um, yeah. And then, and then I guess like a well executed version of everything, um, specifically, you know, quality craftsmanship and thoughtful design, that's what translates into a good stay for someone. And, you know, that's, that kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and like good design and thoughtful design kind of go hand in hand in terms of drawing people in. But then once they are drawn in, uh, ensuring that they actually have the experience that they think these pictures are going to promise them. I mean, I think it's true in a lot of industries, right? This is kind of like Apple's premise, right? Like having a well-designed technology product, even if it doesn't necessarily have the fastest internals or the best software or whatever, goes a long way into making customers happy and therefore driving more sales and therefore making it more expensive to buy the product and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I mean, that's that's why they call us the Apple of vacation rentals. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the Apple of Atlantic City. That's that's where we're at. The Apple of my eye. Uh, yeah, I think the apple of many people's eyes in Atlantic City would, well, um, in any to be, case. To be clear, nobody has ever called us the apple of vacation rentals. Not yet. It, it's something to strive towards. You can call us that. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever see us in the street, you can say that. If you if, if I see someone on the street who says that to me that I don't know without any context. I, John will give them all of the money in his pocket. I'll, yeah, I have... I don't even, I don't have a wallet right now. So on me, so and I have zero, cash zero. Yeah. So I think I have a quarter, but uh, yeah, but if you want a quarter, go for it. In any case, do you have any parting thoughts on this topic, Ryan? Uh, probably a lot of them, but, um, I guess I'm excited. I'm, I'm most excited to see what a follow-up to this conversation sounds like in, in 12 months from now. I'm excited to, do you have any to, predictions? Well, I think, um, 
I think that by next summer we'll have three projects. By sometime next summer we'll have three projects done. I'm predicting that will happen. Um, I'm not predicting there'll be more than three projects, but I think that by next summer we'll have uh, we'll have hired someone like some full time, part time, something like that, some type of construction manager. I agree. Um, I think that we'll have more than nine projects. <laughs> I think we'll have like another, you know, three, four, five, six that will have 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 happened or about to happen. So I think we'll also have tried out and probably found some additional subcontractors that become a key, a key part of our platform. I hope that by the summer we'll have maybe not broken ground, but are on the path to break ground to our first ground up construction project. Yeah. I think, I think we'll hopefully be in, in some phase of the entitlement process. Like I think we'll Mm -hmm. maybe have had some hearings. Maybe I, I, I would be surprised if we have full land use approval. Uh, yeah but that'd be sweet that'd be sweet yeah so yeah my prediction is we'll be done with three projects we'll have hired somebody and we'll have more projects in the docket and we'll have almost started construction on our ground up project and i think we'll probably be pretty blown away by some of the rents that we'll have that we'll be receiving for the that next summer's rentals yeah and unfortunately i think that we will have a similar story about how something that costs us three months, <laughs> we're going to have another story. It's just not going to be the same thing. Right. So, nope. um, God willing, it's not the same thing. <laughs> it can't be the same thing. It can't be the same thing. If it's the same thing, we have failed. All We've really you. failed. Yeah. Um, I, I specifically was texting the electrician yeah. about that. <laughs> Let's not do I don't, that. Again. I don't think he listens to the podcast though. So I think we're okay. Um, well, in any case, I think this has been great. Uh, we'll do a follow-up. I think we'll, you know, what we're Absolutely. trying to do is, um, and, and some of our other content that goes along with this podcast is in the same way, but we're trying to take uh, you guys more in depth into some of these projects that, because I think it's just really cool to see these houses transform. And we do it all the time now, and, and we really have never documented it in, in, a, in a great way. So we have a lot of before videos that are about to come out um, on our YouTube channel which is not, as of this moment, is not live, but uh, might be live by the time you listen to this. It, it'll be the Brick by Brick YouTube channel or some iteration on that. Um, and we're going to try to take you guys a little bit more through the process. We'll update you in the podcast. You'll see the videos, um, see how things transform. I think it'll be really fun. Um, if you guys have questions about that process, we'd love to talk about it. If you have experience in the process of what do you think that we're saying is insane, um, I'd love to hear that too because um, I think having more voices is always helpful, um, even if uh, we res- we respond violently to it. Not that we would, but if we did, then you know. I, I actually uh, like when people disagree about construction stuff because people have like some strongly held convictions. They really it. do. Yeah, I think I think there be people listening to this being like, "You idiots!" Like I can't believe it. <laughs> just hire a general contractor. What are you doing? So um, you know, and I was just having a conversation with uh, with someone kind of about the dichotomy. So, um, but you know, if you have opinions either way, if you want to know more about our specific projects in Atlantic City, what we're doing there, um, anything like that, uh, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, we The best way to communicate with us right now is through email. So I'm John, J-O-H-N, at libertyhudson.com. I'm Ryan, R-Y-A-N, at libertyhudson.com. And uh, if you're able to follow the podcast uh, or subscribe to it, like it in any you know, way, uh, however you listen to it, that'd be great because we can figure out how many people are listening and and the reception. But uh, having said all that, until next time, we will see you guys. We'll be back with another episode uh, next week. Thanks Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. You're listening to the Brick by Brick podcast.